to season two of Inside My Canoe Head, a podcast about individual emergency preparedness, living through a pandemic, reinventing yourself, and chasing adventure. My name is Jeff. Thanks for joining us today, and let's get to it. All right, we start out this week as we do every week with asking the most important question in individual emergency preparedness, who is responsible for your outcomes? You cannot control what is outside your control. And ladies and gentlemen, it is all outside your control. You can choose how you react to those events and you can prepare for them. All right, welcome back to Inside My Canoe Head. My name is Jeff, your host this week. We continue the detailed analysis of dependence on critical infrastructure with the second most important pillar in all of infrastructure behind energy and utilities, that is finance. But we're also going to uncover some uncomfortable wounds today, and we are going to discuss your income. Critical infrastructure is utilized as a system to frame the discussion on preparedness as CIX as a pillar that underpins the society in which you operate. All 10 sectors enable and facilitate the ongoing operation of a modern and connected society. This is where you live. This is what you expect to continue, except when it doesn't. And for that, you wish to be ready. So how do we define what is ready? How long do you wish to be self-sufficient for? Self-reliant. This question threads through the analysis of your preparedness. It may differ for different CIs, certainly, absolutely, but it remains the focus of what you are doing. If you contemplate this question in your mind, I wish to be able to, on my own, whether a disruption in the supportive critical infrastructure of finance for X number of days. So just remember that as we go through today's discussion. In this episode, we're going to talk about the elements of the finance critical infrastructure to include depository institutions. We're going to talk about investment services, insurance companies, point of sale and payment services. And the second half, we're going to talk about that uncomfortable topic of your income, the number of sources and line items in that income that you have, savings and investment. But again, when we start talking about preparedness, we're looking at the critical infrastructure and asking ourselves, what does your world look like when you lose one of these or two or more of these? Think about it. How does that change your normal operations. And the reason we ask that question is because those of you that joined us last week and completed the uh, work that we did on energy and utilities, you came out of that with a short list of tasks for you to do and a short list of acquisitions that you need to make to meet the plan that you've set up to deal with power failures, loss of natural gas, and that type of thing. Now compare that to the list in any 72-hour kit or emergency kit that is given to you by some snake oil salesman on the internet or from Red Cross or from any municipal government, and I will pretty much guarantee the revenue from any podcast that I ever make against the fact that what the plan you're starting to develop based upon energy and utilities alone does not look like anything related to the contents of an emergency kit. That's why putting the time and effort into what we're doing here today and will continue throughout this series is far more valuable than just wasting your money on some off-the-shelf kit that makes you think like you are prepared. So when we start to examine the finance critical infrastructure sector, 
most of the time it's generally discussed as a loss of access event in that you may have certain deposits or investments, payments or income deposits in a bank that for whatever reason are no longer available to you. And as a reminder, we here at Inside My Canoe Head discuss disaster impact reduction, not disaster risk reduction. And that means we care about the fact that this service is no longer available to you. We are not concerned as to the rationale as to why. So the first thing we're going to look at today is deposit and investment services. If you lose access, what does your world look like? Are you prepared to continue operations without access to your debit or bank cards, your credit cards, your bank accounts, your financial institutions, and for whatever reason, all of your money sitting in a depository account is now no longer accessible by you. So this could be as a result of a denial of service attack against a bank. It could be a cyber attack, uh, an intrusion attack into the bank's software. It could be a failure of the bank's internet system. Uh, it could be a failure of the bank's own computer system, which while you could walk into a bank and see all the smiling tellers, they just shrug their shoulders. I'm sorry, the computers are blank. There's nothing I can do. I have no, I have no idea how much money you have in your bank account, nor can I access your balance. So what does that think about? What does that make you think about? What does that look like in your world when you can't access plastic? Well, when we look at basic level of medium of exchange within our economy, we're looking at money. So the alternative payment item here that's really only available to you is cash. We don't use commodity money anymore, which is gold or, or some other method of medium of exchange that has some sort of intrinsic value without being money. So we're looking at cash. Do you have some? How much? And for what needs? And how you look at this is you have to think about it in the framework of Dave Canterbury's five elements of survival. The man is brilliant at this, and I don't ever pretend to know anything near what this individual does about survival. He talks about the five elements, which are shelter, food, water, health, and security. So if you think back to earlier when we asked how long you want to be self-sufficient for without having access to the finance critical infrastructure. So if these depository institutions are down and you can't access money, how long do you want to be able to do that until those come back up? Well, likely they're probably going to come back in a few days. So we're realistically not looking at a long-term scenario of this critical infrastructure, it's just the depository institutions being down long term. But because a lot of people don't keep a great deal of things in their house, uh, how are you going to pay for your rent when it comes due and the bank is not available? Well, you and your landlord will probably negotiate that out. Fair enough. But what if you're sitting in a hotel? Uh, food. Do you have sufficient food to carry yourself over? Or are you an individual who lives fairly close to the edge and food security? And you really not all that much concern. So you don't have a great deal of food at home. Now you have to get more food, but you can't access cards, plastic, or bank accounts. Do you have cash for that? Water. Listen, water is its own CI and we'll talk about it. Absolutely. But, you know, uh, access to water is important. And health and security. I don't know whether there are certain health items you require uh, that costs money and are not free through some government program or some occupational subsidized program that you may or may not subscribe to. But these are things that you will need cash and money for. And security. I'm just going to leave that one there. Uh, you will need to consider cash payments for security in that way 
or somehow. So that being said, that's the kind of framework you have to look at through the depository institutions. This is not the critical element of the critical infrastructure. More than likely, you're going to have a denial of service or, a, or an insider attack on their cyber infrastructure, which will take it down for, you know, 48, 72 hours. Uh, but if that happens to be the day you're going to the grocery store to get your biweekly loadout, uh, you're not going to do it because unless you have four to $500 worth of cash sitting at home, you won't be able to execute that task. Uh, but if you don't have any cash at home and you need to go to the store and get something and the only you know medium of exchange that they're accepting at that point is Canadian currency and you don't have any currency, then you're not getting anything. So you know how you look at that, it's, it's really not that complicated. The second thing we're going to look at today is insurance. And this is less so of an availability of the insurance. It's more of a question of do you have protection. Now, if you have a mortgage on a home, you have mandatory mortgage insurance uh, or mandatory house insurance that is required by your mortgage lender. Uh, so you have the minimums there. You may have more than the minimums. That's a personal choice. That's a risk assessment. Uh, the same thing if you have a car and a car payment, then that insurance is mandatory and there's minimum insurance required for liability in pretty much every jurisdiction. So you're going to have the minimums. Okay, but that's on your car and your house. What about you? What about uh, an umbrella policy? I'll give you a fine example. I have an umbrella policy that's worth a million dollars that's on me because I may do something dumb someday and somebody can sue me. So this adds on top of my car. It adds on top of my home, but it also covers dumb me for doing dumb things in the world. So anyhow, those, those policies are out there. Uh, think about flood and fire because we're thinking about emergency preparedness here. So what are you exposed to? Is there a likelihood of a wildfire coming through your area? Are you on a floodplain or a potential floodplain? Have you flooded? Listen, my basement has flooded twice. Uh, $15,000 the first time, $26,000 the second time. I'm very glad I had flood insurance. So these are things that you have to verify yourself against your own risk profile, what it is you are facing where you live, and you know, understanding what your coverage truly covers. Now, do you speak lawyer language? Do you understand what all those exceptions are? What does the insurance company consider an act of God? And I'll give you a prime example. We had life, I had life insurance, uh, try to sell, uh, individual try to sell me life insurance once when I was in the army, uh, but it didn't pay if I was killed as a result of some terrorist attack or act of war. And I said to him, I said, you understand what I do, right? Like I deploy on other parts of the world, you know, to fight bad guys, fight terrorists, all that other junk. Um, this is exactly probably how I will die in those missions is by, and you're not going to pay. And of course they weren't really, that was not their stick. So off I went on to a policy that would cover me. So make sure that you truly understand in normal person speak exactly what your coverage is so that you're never going to be in a position where you think you are covered for something, but you are not. So just understand that, take the time. And the third element in uh, critical infrastructure we're going to talk about today is your POS, your point of sale and payment of services. This is what you tap. You cannot pay with cards or credit. Your banks are fine. You can access your money, but somehow the point of sale goes down. Now, a lot of times you this happens at grocery stores or whatever, and you'll just pull out cash if you have cash. Where this gets different is when you start looking at people who rely on transfer of money to and from. We all do email transfers. We all pay things 
over the internet and they all use Moneris or various or Shopify or different types of payment services. Think about what your world looks like when those payment services and point of sale are not available. So this is not just cash. This is situations where you're going to use electronic money to acquire something, but you can't use electronic money to acquire it. And it's not available to you immediately by cash because you're buying it over the internet. And hence, now you no longer have access to these pieces of goods or services that you would acquire. Now, this is going to be different for everybody. What you acquire through this uh, medium is completely up to you. It's how you live your life. You know, there are lots of people I know that through this pandemic, a shop for everything comes in Amazon other than fresh veggies. They get every one of their household supplies from toilet paper to laundry soap to paper towel comes through the front door uh, via Amazon. They don't have to leave. Uh, if that's not available anymore because the point of sale and payment services go down, are you living that close to the critical edge? So it basically means, hey, listen, if the point of sale goes down for 72 hours, are you going to survive if you can't shop on Amazon? Yeah, you're probably right. You probably will. But there are some people who regularly exchange money between family and friends over the internet. And this point is a thought for you. What happens when you can't do that? How do you execute your task of sending money back home, repatriating money, uh, whatever you might be doing with the money uh, internationally? Make sure that you have thought that process out as an alternate if your normal exchanges are no longer possible or there is a crack in the infrastructure that supports these type of exchanges. So remember, as we go through this, you're going to go, you're going to keep asking yourself that wonderful question that we have. So what? So what? So what? So, you know, point of sales is not available. So what? What does that mean for me? Oh, that means I can't use my credit card. So what? That means I have to use cash. So what? That means I can't buy something online. So what? And you keep going through the so what's until you come to the end. And you're going to come to one of two things or one of three things, actually. One is a specific and exacting task that says I must do blank in order to be able to do blank. You add that to your list at the end. Or you're going to come to a specific acquisition. I must acquire blank in blank quantity in order to be able to do blank. So in other words, this out of those questions, you might decide that, you know what, I need, based on my calculations, I need $400 Canadian cash in my house. That is a specific task for you to execute. That goes at the bottom of the list. Or a specific acquisition. I must acquire flood insurance for my house in order to be able to mitigate flood risk. Bam, that's a tax. That goes at the end. That's part of your emergency preparedness plan that you're building, building through looking at critical infrastructure. And so now we're going to look at the second and the uncomfortable part of today's topic is your income, your finances. I'll be blunt. How many sources do you have? What's your level of risk that you are willing to accept in related to income? Let me put it this way. One income families are at an exceptional level of risk. COVID-19 has shown us the vulnerability of our incomes, and probably for the first time for most people. Very few people prepare for resiliency in their income by having multiple reliable sources within a household. It's a question of personal responsibility, vice government support. You know, you don't say no to government funding. You just don't need it to meet the basics of life. So what we're saying here is you have to look at how many lines of income you have coming into a household. Now, you will define a household however you see fit. Uh, several households together could mean one big household. You may have a, uh, 
a culture where four or five different homes are considered part of the similar household, and that's fantastic. You look across that household and look at your different lines of income. And the idea that research tells us that the minimum is three and the most recommended is five. And the idea being it is that you are going to have five lines of income coming into your house. Now, a couple of them may be side hustles, maybe a YouTube channel. It may be, you know, sewing doilies and selling them on Etsy or something. Or you may have a part-time job providing services uh, to somebody. For example, you might be a handyman and work a few projects on the side under the table for some cash on the side. Those are all different lines of income, or you may have two part-time jobs. The point being is, is if you place yourself in a position where your entire family's ability to carry on is based upon a single income regularly coming into your bank account, you are accepting a huge amount of risk. Now, that's perfectly fine if you're okay with that. But we've seen in COVID-19, when that income goes away and disappears, how are you going to meet your responsibilities? How long can they be met without income? Look at the five elements of survival again. How are you going to pay for shelter, food, water, healthcare, security? What is really important? Cannot be an exception. You got to cost it out and then determine what level meets your comfort. So people will say, you know, I need six months of, of expenses, et cetera. And people will say, well, last month I spent $3,000, so I need $18,000. No, you have to look at it from the elements of survival. And the reason we're saying is when you are in a position where you are relying on your savings or cash on hand to meet all of your needs, you go to the basics. You look at shelter, food, water, healthcare, and security and determine exactly what you need for each of those at the minimum. You cost it out. How long do you want to be prepared for? And this is a big question because let's put it this way. If you were in the airline industry when COVID-19 hit and Warren Buffett sold all his shares in the airline industry and the estimates were four years, you knew right then and there you had no choice but to pursue a different profession. You could not sit around for four years expecting the government to pay your bills for you, waiting for the airline industry to bounce back. You have other respon- You have responsibilities, whatever they may be, and you need to get off your butt and go figure it out. In the interim space, while you're figuring out what your next avenue is, that's where your government support can come in. Don't ever turn it away, but that's also where your savings cover. But the idea right now is if you're a year into the pandemic and you're sitting and staring at the wall waiting for your old job to come back, you've just burned a year of time. Um, That's not coming back. Don't even think about that. If it does, that'll just be gravy. It's your responsibility to take care of your own needs and the family for which you're responsible. So the idea of multiple lines of income is if one line, even if it's your principal line of income goes down, your other line of income can make a car payment. I'll give you an example. I have a fifth line of income right now that makes me $321 a month. It's just a thing that I, you know, it takes me a couple hours a month, but it makes me 321 bucks. Is that a lot of money? No, but guess what? I won't go hungry. And that's a pretty damn valuable thing in my mind. I and my family won't go hungry because that 321 bucks is coming into my bank account. Bam, I just made food. And it's really that simple. And if you have a number of people in your house that have incomes and you put it together, you may see you have a lot of money there in little bits that can be put together. And that makes rent. That makes food. That makes whatever health care costs you have. That makes whatever security costs you have. 
and and we can just go on from there but the point being is is you have to think it out how long do you feel comfortable how and the best way to understand that is to think about pivoting how fast can you pivot from your current profession to a new profession like depending on your skill sets and i don't know whether you're in an anywhere or a somewhere type of job it just depends if you're a tradesperson if you're an office person if you're a teacher if you're it, it doesn't matter what your profession is think about how fast you can pivot to another profession and what that profession would be and that you can make enough money at to cover your basic requirements that space that you figure out that's the time you need to be prepared for so i'm not going to sit here and tell you three or six months of supply there are lots of great books of dave ramsey tony robbins and all these other folks and i'll talk about tony robbins at the end but the point being is just you have to figure out what your comfort level is and you have to do it but if you're sitting at home thinking one line of income in the ward cleaver era uh you're you're in some huge risk but that's perfectly up to you that's what you're doing some people are happy living paycheck to paycheck and they roll with it <laughs> that's their gig but most people want some cushion to feel safe but the size is not for someone else to determine that's an expression of your responsibilities and the extent to which you want to meet those you know confidentiality without question weeks months that's up to you but preparedness and personal finance is about making decisions that facilitate the life you want on your terms without requiring government intervention or support it backs to that first question we asked at the beginning of every podcast who is responsible for your outcomes it is your responsibility to take care of you and your and the people for which you are responsible and to pay those associated bills it is not the government's responsibility to do so now the pandemic caught everybody off guard we all jumped on the serb everybody took the benefit that they could to reorientate but if you had not reorientated within three to four months of the start of the pandemic then you were leading the fault okay this wasn't the government's fault it wasn't the pandemic's fault you have to ask yourself the question the position that you find yourself in is that a result of the pandemic is it a result of government restrictions a business closure or is it the result of decisions that you made prior to the pandemic coming on and it's a hard look in the mirror and frankly this is just about not beating yourself up but it's about accepting that i am where i am and how do i fix it so there's a lot of interesting stuff out there uh, on preparedness and how to build a financial resiliency. Uh, one of them is the FIRE movement, the FIRE uh, Financial Independence Retire Early. There's a lot of great YouTube videos on that. Just Google it. Uh, they just talk about putting away 60 to 70% of your income. So if you're a single guy, you just graduated university, that's you and four friends renting a studio apartment. Yeah, a studio. Four of you sleeping on the cots in the floor and each of you putting away 70% of your money in the bank and only living on 30%. But a more realistic one is a great book by Tony Robbins called Unshakable. And it talks about the theory of a wealth tax. And a wealth tax is, is you take a portion of your income off top. Now, people have said 10% before, but it gives a great story of a FedEx driver in the U.S. who, FedEx or UPS, I can't remember. Anyhow, he put away 20% of every income uh, check that he got, and he retired a millionaire and never made more than minimum wage. So, yeah, uh, there are some videos coming up on my YouTube channel that are going to outline why you can retire a millionaire in Canada on minimum wage and have an awesome life. People aren't going to like it, but when I show you the details, you'll realize that I am correct. Either way, look at the wealth tax. It's a way of 
putting away money in investments. I'm not an investment advisor. I'm not going to tell you how to put your money away. I'm going to tell you you have responsibilities. And when income disappears, it's up to you. So at the end of the day, you should have a small list of exacting tasks, maybe about insurance, maybe about acquiring a certain amount of cash, put it aside or a specific acquisition, something you have to go out and get. So now what you're doing is you combine that list with your energy and utilities list from the previous week, and you're starting to build your preparedness plan. Now in the coming weeks, uh, on the upcoming episodes of Inside My Canoe Head, some of the other elements of critical infrastructure are fairly short. So we're going to put two or three of them within one show to try to expedite the series. But you're going to build at the end of this, you're going to have 10 individual little micro lists, you're going to put those together and you will have developed an incredible, personally reflective emergency preparedness plan built by you for you just for your family and that you can execute and I promise you this it will be exactly what you need and it will have absolutely nothing to do with those ridiculous 72-hour kits that they sell you on TV so with that thanks for joining us this week on Inside My Canoe Head and look forward to hearing from you in all of your comments uh, you can drop me at jeff at preparednesslabs.ca leave a comment on a YouTube video comment on one of these services give us a like and a thumbs up and give us a rating and on top of that, stay safe, wear a mask, and we'll see you next week.